0: What's up, everybody? Um, I'm doing the last of the podcasts for our um, culture shift series that we've been doing for a little while now, um, and this last one um, was titled "Sharing Hope." And the the scripture that we talked about was Daniel six twenty eight. Um, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to Pastor Gary's sermon uh, from a couple Sundays ago, um, that you go do that. It was a very good sermon. Um, with a very good word. Um, It spoke to me, but as I studied and as I I took down notes, um, I just felt uh, God putting something on my heart that um, it was something that I had preached about a while back as well as something um, that I had continued to study and that God had continued to speak into my heart. And it went, I think, along with this sermon. Um, And again, it's something that's uh, been heavy on my heart lately. but going off of something that, one little phrase or sentence that Pastor Gary mentioned, you know, I kind of continued studying from there. Um, and basically what he said um, inspired me to write uh, this sentence in my notes. Every Christian is a minister. Every saint a servant. I think a lot of times, um, in especially in the American culture. Um, we are so guilty of consumerism. We are so guilty of doing church in a way that makes people happy, doing church in a way that makes people feel welcome, and doing church in a way that's comfortable and convenient um, and looks nice. And we, we sell the idea of church. And um, at the end of the day, we sell the gospel. Um, and, that, and that's consumerism in the American the American church culture and unfortunately it, it isn't really church and I'm not saying that you know River of life uh, is you know guilty of of doing that and I'm not trying to say anything about River of life in particular I'm talking about um, the American church and I think that to an extent um, nearly every church in America is sometimes guilty of behaving in a way that reflects um, this understanding that has, um, crept into our minds and into our hearts and crept into the way that we do things in church. And I think we would be wise as a church um, to guard against that and to be vigilant that we don't um, become guilty of being a church of consumerism. Uh, But that isn't something that the church um, as one whole entity changes uh, in in one decision or in one instant. Um, That's only changed by and prevented by um, living with this understanding that every Christian is a minister and every saint a servant. Um, if we look at the example of Jesus, we see that Jesus came um, to serve. He came to serve us because he loves us, but he also came to give us that example of, of what it looks like to be a child of God and what it looks like to be a Christian. And to be a Christian is to be a servant, a minister. We so often get the idea of... of um, Titles and positions and and roles associated with those titles and positions, um, and so we we leave certain jobs to certain people with certain titles, um, but that's not what that's not how God called the church to be. Um, and if you look back in history, um, there there are certain events that have happened in certain cultures that have influenced the way we view church, and that's caused us to do church the way that we do. Um, and some of it is good, and and some of it is bad, unfortunately. Um, but what I want us to understand is that we are all called to so much more than Sunday mornings. We're called to more than Christian radio stations and biblical vernacular. We are created to serve, to work and build and establish God's kingdom. Um, myself included, We are guilty of showing up on Sunday to be fed and to be served, and yet we never reciprocate that action, which is what God intends for us. It's not bad to be fed and it's not bad to be served. Jesus came to serve us, again, to serve us because he loves us, but also to give us that example. Um, We serve each other and we serve God, and ultimately, um, it's something that reciprocates. God served us first, he loved us first. And he calls us to reciprocate that. So uh, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for showing up on Sunday, um, wanting to be fed spiritually. That's important. We must be fed spiritually. We have to be fed spiritually. Um, that's the whole point. We gather together to encourage each other, to build each other up, and to to be fed, to to feed the feed on the word. And yet. We miss half of it whenever we go away without reciprocating that. We miss half of it whenever our Christian life um, consists of Sunday mornings, Christian radio stations, and biblical vernacular, as I said before. Um, Romans 12.1 gives us, uh, and again this is something that I preached on a little while, uh, several weeks ago, um, but Romans 12.1 is something that I've continued to study and continue to be drawn back to. And, and as I continue to go back to it, God continues to reveal more and more to me about it. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we read that, and it makes a little bit of sense to us, and, and if you didn't listen to my sermon called Layers of Calling, I encourage you to do that. Um, it's on the River of Life podcast, um, as well as my own, and it's also on both Um, the River of Life SoundCloud account, and again, my own SoundCloud account. Um, And I think it was uh, um, a timely message, and God spoke a powerful word um, to me, and also through me to to all who were there and who listened. But again, he continues to reveal more to me as I study this. If you really dig deep into this, Paul uses very specific language to compare and contrast the beliefs of the young Christians that he was writing to, along with the Hellenistic beliefs of the people in the World around them. We have to remember that the Christians then um, did not have uh, the the vernacular that we have. They didn't have the tradition of routine and history and and schedules. Um, and programs, and all of these things that we have, especially here in the um, the Church of America, um, they didn't have that. As the New Testament church, um, when you read the book of Acts, and you read all these letters that Paul wrote to different early churches, um, they were, they were. I don't want to say making it up, because that sounds um, like it's not founded in, in some kind of truth, um, but in a sense, they were being led um, to establish a church that had never existed before. Of course, God's church and God's people have always existed since the beginning of creation. Um, the first people created were God's people, and, and that was the start of God's plan for the body of Christ and for what we call the church. But whenever we say church, a lot of times we think of gatherings and buildings and and, and those sort of things. Um, and that's what I'm talking about here. Uh, the, the early New Testament church was building something um, and they had no point of reference for it. And so Paul is trying to help these people understand um, not how they should do church, but how they should do life. Um, And that life would um, ultimately lead to how they did church. Um, But of course, the Christian church isn't the only church in the world. There were other churches, there were other religions, and especially in this culture of Gentiles, um, this culture of Greeks, or, you know, different translations will say different things, um, but the Greek culture was, was a very... Um, prominent culture, and that word Hellenistic uh, speaks of that. It speaks of the pagan cultures, um, specifically drawing from the Greek influences. And so these Hellenistic beliefs, these Hellenistic um, people had certain beliefs about things and about um, what worship was, the gods that they worshipped, and and they believed certain things about the world and about creation and about um, humanity, um, as all religions do. And Paul wasn't just trying to tell the these young Christians, you know, completely avoid everything these people are doing. Don't look to them, you know, uh, do your own thing. Um, Paul was helping these people that he's writing to in Romans 12.1 understand what we're called to do, and he didn't just contrast Christian beliefs against Hellenistic beliefs. He even compared some ideologies and, and some beliefs um, and and kind of painted this picture with the vocabulary that he chose to use. And and that's something that I love about studying Paul's writings. Um, he was a very well-educated man. And if you really dig deep into the language he uses, it's it, it paints a, a beautiful picture. And so we're going to talk about that phrase at the end of Romans 12.1, spiritual worship. Different tra- translations uh, will say different things. Um, it might say, you know... Um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your um, reasonable act of worship, or which is your rational service. Uh, Again, different translations put that different ways. Um, But the phrase there, and I'm not going to read it in Greek, but the phrase there in Greek uh, means something very specific, um, and it means a lot to us. Um, There's a word that We use in church. Of course, we don't use it quite so much in the Protestant church, especially in a non-denominational church culture. We don't use the word liturgy a lot, um, but some of you may know that I grew up in the Catholic church, and so that's a word that I'm very familiar with, liturgy. Um, liturgy can be thought of in, in many different ways. Liturgy is the, the way we do church. Liturgy is the work of the church or the work of the people that comprise the church. Um, liturgy is the story that our works tell. You know, the things that we do in church um, tells a story. And that's what we call liturgy. Um, I often think of this word liturgy whenever I'm putting together the set list for Sunday. Uh, my set lists are a liturgy. Um, I, I feel that God leads me to put the songs together a certain way and in a certain order to tell a story. Um, and to lead our hearts on a journey. And of course, we always want to tell the story of the gospel with our liturgy, but we do that in different ways. And so sometimes um, the the liturgy is a liturgy of joy or hope or um, even brokenness. And, and so that word liturgy uh, is very important. And we get that word and the understanding of that word from this phrase that Paul uses that um, the ESV translates, translates as spiritual worship. And so the first word that we look at is where we get the spiritual part of it. Um, and actually, it's in Greek. The word is logic. Uh, I said I wasn't going to read it in Greek, but that one is literally just the word logic. Uh, and that's where we get our word logic. And so hopefully you you, you can already begin to develop an understanding in your mind um, of what where we're coming from with that word. It can be translated as logic or spiritual or um reasonable or rational or even divine. Um, some translations and some texts um, say that this word logic speaks of divine. And this is something that is um, not a contrast necessarily to the Hellenistic view, um, but almost a comparison. Because this is a word that the Hellenistic beliefs, the Greek, um, the different Greek religions and pagan religions in that area and that culture, um, They understood, they had a certain understanding of this word logic, Uh, and that understanding had huge implications for the way that they believed and the way that they lived, and Paul was trying to, in using that word, he was trying to get, uh, he was trying to point out something that the Hellenistic belief system um, was sort of right about. Not that that religion or any of those religions are by any means right, but you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. And so, if this word can translate as divine, basically what it's saying to us is that our worship, because of course Paul is saying that presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is our act of spiritual worship. And so he's saying that our worship draws its source from the divine. Um, It is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's not things that we do physically. It's things that we do physically for the purpose of the divine. And so the things that we do can only really be considered worship if it's logical worship. Or um, you can read reasonable or rational, but again, if you really take a step back and look at the big picture of that word logic, Um, especially looking at the way the Hellenistic belief system um, used that word in their religion and their culture, Uh, this points to deity. This points to something other than ourselves. And and basically, what Paul was trying to get the, the young Christians to understand was something that the Hellenistic people had a misunderstanding of, but were on the right track. Um, about, we can only do eternally meaningful things with our bodies, our physical bodies, if we do so in the power of the divine. And so, for the Hellenistic people, that meant something a little different than for us as Christians. You know, they believed in in different gods, and and uh, you know, some of them were pantheistic, and and. Um, You know, there were all these different gods and all these different religious beliefs, um, but they believed the Hellenistic view was that the body, our physical um, existence, is inherently bad. And so the Hellenistic view of worship sort of took on this disembodied understanding. Um, it, it was sort of a, a metaphorical thing. And so whenever they did something that they considered to be worship, um, they considered it to be purely spiritual. Um, and if their physical being was, was contributing to it, then it must be bad. Uh, and so their their view of worship was very confused and very... Uh, misinformed. They had a huge misunderstanding about this idea of logical um, or spiritual worship. but 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 what Paul was trying to say was they they're on to something. And what Paul understood is that um, you know, even though our bodies aren't inherently bad, Our bodies are inherently useless without um, the power of the Spirit working in us to accomplish God's will. And so if we're not careful, we can fall into this sort of behavior. Of course, none of us are going to claim that we have a Hellenistic view of the world. But when our worship is limited to singing songs on Sunday and silently nodding our heads as we listen to sermons, it's not worship. Robert Daly uh, views worship as living in a way that is enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Um, lately I've been as I'm studying this um, and and really digging deep into these things, uh, this idea of worship and logical spiritual reasonable divine worship um, you you may have seen my Facebook posts or or um, Twitter posts or whatever um, and I quoted Robert Daly as I was studying some of his writings and, his understanding of worship goes so far beyond what the Church of America so quickly labels as worship, um, and and so shallowly labels as worship. It's not just singing songs on Sunday, and it's not just choosing to listen to Christian radio instead of anything else. It's not choosing to use a certain um, spiritualistic vernacular rather than, you know, regular words. Um, so many of us and that's one that I try to be mindful of because I think it is important that we acknowledge God and there is certain uh, there are certain words and phrases there's a certain language a certain vernacular that we use as Christians and I think that's important but a lot of times we allow that vernacular to become a facade and and that vernacular is what we're calling our worship you know we say when people ask how we're doing instead of saying oh i'm doing all right we say oh i'm blessed and it becomes this facade and and it's like well I'm worshiping and I'm I'm living this lifestyle that puts God first but really all we're all we're doing is is putting up this front of of songs and routines and schedules and and certain uh, certain words and phrases that are common to our church culture and yet that's not what worship is worship is whenever we do things in the power of the spirit worship is whenever our sole source for everything we do in life is the divine, is the deity, is God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that mysterious Trinitarian thing that we worship, we may not understand it. The, the Hellenistic um, religions didn't understand deity either, and that's what led them to having a misinformed and confused and incorrect idea of what worship is. And even though Paul doesn't perfectly understand the Trinity either, what he does understand is that we can't be our source of worship. My actions and my voice and my singing and and my resources are not going to cut it. My resources aren't inherently bad. My physical existence isn't inherently bad, but it is inherently useless unless I draw on the divine. Unless everything I do is logical, in the sense of that Greek word that Paul uses. It must be spiritual. It must be divine. It must be Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered, and and Spirit-enabled. The Holy Spirit of God works in us. And we have access to that because of what Jesus did on the cross, and because of the great love of the Father. And those three things working together cause us to be able to do something different than we could otherwise. They make us those three things working together, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, enable us to to worship and to serve in a way that's different. Um, it, the, the title of pastor is not what enables somebody to preach. The title of pastor is not what enables somebody to lead the church in worship. The title of pastor is not what enables somebody to do what we call ministry. Every Christian is a minister, and every saint a servant. We show up to be fed and served on Sunday, but in doing so, we are made able to reciprocate that service. We're made able to reciprocate. You know, you show up to church on Sunday morning, and the worship team leads you in worship, and the pastor speaks the word into your life, and you grow, and you understand things that you didn't understand before, and God leads you closer in your relationship with Him. But that's not the end of it. What happens next is that you get to go out into the world and into your life and reciprocate that. You get to go out and allow people to be fed spiritually as you speak life into them. Not your own life, but the life of the Son of God who gave His life for you and then allowed you to have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that what you do can be worship. Our worship is possible as a result of of what Christ did for us. And so, worship is something entirely different than what we've allowed it to become in our minds and and the understanding that we've allowed to be built in our hearts in the church culture here in America. Uh, And again, I'm not saying that every single church, because it's in America, is bad. But what I am saying is that every single church, not just in America but especially in America, in my understanding and my experience. Of course, I'm American, so that's the only, really the only experience I have. But even just going to visit our friends in Merida, um, they're certainly not perfect, and they don't have a perfect understanding of what church is or what church is supposed to be. But they live life a lot differently than we do here in America. They really do. Uh, they, what they do on Sunday morning is essentially the same thing they do um, Monday through Saturday, they live life in a way that glorifies God. And again, I'm not saying they're perfect, and I'm not saying they're better than us. Um, but I think the culture of the church in America has has gotten filled with, with misunderstanding of what Romans 12.1 means when it talks about presenting our bodies as a sacrifice, and when it talks about worshiping God. We've gotten that very mixed up. So the, the next word that we read, we, we talked about spiritual. We talked about that word um, logic and and talking about the spiritual and the divine and the reasonable and the rational. Um, but the next word is translated a little more simply than that last word. Um, the next word that we read as worship in the ESV and, and various other translations Um, specifically speaks of service rendered to God. Now, if you take a step back and you consider the other religious cultures um, in the time that Paul was writing this book of Romans they used the same word, and of course to them it was service rendered to a God with a little g, service rendered to some deity, and that was what they called worship. And that's what the Christians called worship, except of course the Christians um, rendering service to the God with a capital G, the one true God. This is where we get our idea of worship, you know, as the foundation of what we call worship. But I also believe that um, because of the the way that this word has come to have its meaning, it can either, I think it can equally positively influence our understanding of worship, or equally negatively influence our understanding of worship. Because if you look back, um, especially looking back in the Old Testament, um, we read, and of course the Old Testament was in Hebrew, not Greek, but we read um, this idea of service rendered to God, and and it specifically spoke of... um, service done by a priest. So basically, you know, whether it was the Jewish culture or the pagan cultures around them, this word that we get worship from um, was talking about what the priests do. And of course, not everybody is a priest. Certain people were priests. In fact, uh, the minority of people were priests and they served God and they served the people so that the people could have a right relationship with God in the Old Covenant. But now that we're in the New Covenant, now that we're part of the New Testament church, who is a priest? And that's where the misunderstanding arises. We get this idea of worship in our minds. And we either think that worship is something that everybody does, but it's like the singing and going to church and signing up to to volunteer for things and to serve, you know, once or twice a month in the nursery or in children's church or media or or whatever the case. Um, And those are good things. Those are great things. And they're very important. But whenever we forget who counts as a priest in this New Testament church, that's when we we start lose, losing our grasp on our ability to worship. In the New Testament covenant, in the New Testament church established by Christ, through His sacrifice on the cross and through the subsequent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's children, you are a priest. I am a priest. Every Christian Every single Christian is a minister, and every saint a servant. And that's you, and that's me. That's every single one of us. Because of the cross, everything that happens in time after the cross, which means you and me for the rest of our lives, we are priests in the New Testament church and in the new covenant with God. We are the people who render service to God. We are the people who do God's work. Not so that the other people that show up to church on Sunday can feel good about themselves. But so that the rest of the world, this pagan culture around us, this this world of lost people. Our work is, is to honor God and glorify God and build up the church. But it's so that we can minister to those people. It's so that we can take what manifests itself in a special way on Sunday. And we can take that with us throughout the week. And build the kingdom with it. That's that's what spiritual worship is. And so, these two words, separate, mean both important things. They're both important words, um, and they're, they're it's a good understanding to have them separately. But Paul put those two words together with his understanding of the Hellenistic culture around uh, the people that the book of Romans was written to. He put these two words together. To make them question why would he use this language? And it would have ultimately led them to a greater understanding as they looked at the world around them and the cultures around them and compared and contrasted it to their own culture. And I challenge you to do the same thing. These two words clearly and concisely define what it means to worship God. If we really have an understanding of these two words, and if we really let what if we really let what these two words mean sink into our hearts. Um, It's going to change the way that we live our lives. Worship is doing things in in the way that God leads us to do, in accordance with God's kingdom agenda, and with the goal of pointing to Him in everything that we do. At the end of the day, it's only because of God that we work, and it's only for God that we work. And you can understand that in two senses. We are only able to do what we do because of God. In the spiritual sense... We have new life in Christ, and we use that to sing praises and declare His greatness. If I didn't have newness of life in Christ, if I had never received salvation, I could sing all the same songs that I do now. I could sing all the same Christian songs and all the same songs about the gospel and songs that really and truly are good songs. But if I didn't have the life of Christ in me, if I didn't have the the Holy Spirit living inside of me, it would mean nothing and it would be useless and, and it would have no purpose. But because of my new life in Christ, whenever I sing Christian songs, they become praises to God and they declare His greatness. And in the same way, whenever I work, I'm building the kingdom. Whenever I interact with people, I'm building the kingdom, provided that I'm doing it in step with the Spirit and and in the leading and guiding of the Spirit. But also in the physical sense, not just in the spiritual sense, in the physical sense, our bodies biologically only exist because of His creation and sustenance of the universe. So in both the spiritual sense and the physical sense, what do we have without God? We have nothing without God, and we certainly don't have worship without God. We don't have worship. We cannot worship in a misunderstanding of what worship is. we, As, as the church and as the body of Christ, we will never get Romans 12.1. And Paul can appeal to us by the mercies of God all he wants to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You can read that verse a hundred times a day every day. But if we don't get what spiritual worship is, If we don't understand what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we'll never be able to worship. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, what we're saying is, I may not be a pastor necessarily, but I'm a minister. I may not be um, a worship leader necessarily, but I'm a minister. I may not be this, and I may not be that. You might not have any role, as far as you understand. You might not have any role in 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 the church at River of Life. Your name might not be on be at River of Life. Your name might not be on any sign up sheet, uh, and you might not serve in any ministry at all. You might just show up on Sunday. And sing songs and listen to the sermon and take notes and fellowship with people and go home. But the fact of the matter is, because you are a New Testament saint, because you are a child of God in the New Testament church after the work of the cross, the work that you do is called to be um, what Paul would have called the work of the priests. We are all commanded to present our bodies, our whole being, which means all that we are and all that we do as a sacrifice. Um, As I was studying, one phrase that a few different writers used was an unbloody sacrifice. And so if you look back at the Old Testament covenant, sacrifices were bloody. They required the, the shedding of blood because they would kill an animal to sacrifice for the atonement of sins. But of course, we know that Jesus, our high priest, the son of God, our savior, shed his blood once and for all so that Our sacrifice to God can be an unbloody sacrifice. In other words, a living sacrifice. Though we are sacrificing ourselves, we are still alive. More alive than we ever were before because Christ imparts His life to us through the shedding of His blood. And so, in response to the model of Christ, we present our bodies to our Heavenly Father, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the only way we're able to accomplish that. And so this idea of logical service, reasonable service, rational worship, divine worship, spiritual worship, it's not just about getting goosebumps while you're singing your favorite worship song. It's not just about feeling good about yourself because you... Um, provided food to a family who just suffered a loss. It's not just about having a sense of self-gratification or satisfaction in life um, because you serve every Sunday or you serve every month on on whatever ministry you've uh, chosen to be a part of. Those are all good things to do, but that's not what it's about. That's not what worship is. Inherently, those things are useless. Those things accomplish nothing good eternally if they're done for the sake of your own satisfaction, your own gratification. But when we do these things because we're led by the Spirit to do so, when we do these things in response to what the Holy Spirit um, is prompting us to do and, and what God is placing into our hearts through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's when it becomes worship. That's when it becomes eternally meaningful. That's when it becomes something that will echo for the rest of eternity. Eternity in the presence of God, will be filled with the echo of our worship. And it will continue to echo because we will continue to worship Him for all of eternity. And it starts now. We can start tomorrow if we're still alive tomorrow. We can start next week if we're still around next week. We can start next Sunday if we make it to next Sunday. But the fact of the matter is people die every day. And it could be me. And it could be you. We don't know. God calls us to worship now. In the same way that I can receive the benefits of salvation now, in the same way that I'm living under the umbrella of grace now because of the cross, in the same way that the Holy Spirit is currently dwelling with me, abiding with me, I'm called to abide with Christ now, to worship now. And so I challenge you to rethink Um, what worship is, to really examine um, your heart in that matter, or I guess I should say to allow God to help you understand what He sees in your heart, because we can examine our heart all day long. We can try to pick our own brains all day long, but at the end of the day, um, we need the wisdom of God to to give us the appropriate understanding if we're going to make a difference not only in our, our own selves but in the, the church culture around us and the world around us. Um, we have to worship. We have to get worship right or we're going to miss it. Now, I'm not claiming, because I said all this, that I've got it right. Um, I still mess up. Um, I still get a wrong idea of what worship is. Um, some Sundays as I lead the church in worship, um, you know I'm frustrated with something or I don't feel confident about something um, and, and I struggle to really be in the place that I need to be, but I'm grateful that God uses me in spite of that. However, I do my best with this understanding and I seek a greater understanding of what worship is so that I might honor God and glorify God in the, the best way possible, which is in a divine way. And so I challenge you with that. Um, to rethink what worship is and allow God to shape your understanding of worship, that you might glorify Him um, and in all things that you do, build His kingdom and point to Him um, above all else.